Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. How do you achieve victory? That's the big question, whether you're talking about business on Wall Street or learning to defend our nation right here at the U.S. Military Academy. Well, we have come to honor our veterans today and celebrate this amazing institution, which produces men and women who choose country over remuneration, who favor service, selflessness, team, and brotherhood over their personal wants and needs. You might think there's not a lot of overlap between what we see and hear at a place like West Point and what you typically see and hear on Wall Street, especially on a not-so-hot day like today where the Dow lost 101 points, S&P declined 0.38%, and the Nasdaq tumbled 0.58%, although that was way off the lows of the session. See, I think there is some commonality. Because leading an enterprise these days is all about the same processes that cadets learn here. No wonder veterans do so well in business. At a time... Yeah, why not? Why not? Why not? Tear it! At a time when the whole market can be brought down by exogenous forces like discord over taxes like we have in Washington, a European sell-off that got imported back to our shores, producing one of the worst days for stocks in nearly three months. We need to figure out which stocks can bounce back the fastest. That's why I'm so focused on similarities between how they do things here at West Point and how things, yeah. Yeah. And how things are done on Wall Street. Because a winning strategy is a winning strategy. doesn't matter whether you're talking about the military or the private sector. What does it take for a company to win in this environment? Leadership, innovation, loyalty, first mover advantage. Four things you cadets in this audience know a lot about. First above all, leadership is the big differentiator that sets successful businesses apart from failures. If you have strong leaders, CEOs who have a vision of what it takes to win, then your company will have a much better chance of producing strong results. It's the person at the top who defines how an institution works. In short, strong leaders translate into companies with stocks that outperform. And we see it all the time. We see it with PepsiCo with Ingenuity, or at Apple with Tim Cook, or at Johnson & Johnson, which is led by West Point graduate Alex Gorsky, whom we'll hear from later tonight. Second point of similarity between the military and the private sector, first mover advantage. If you want to beat your rivals, you need to be ahead of the game. Perceive what the enemy's doing. Beat them to the punch. It's all about getting their firstest with the mostest. And these days, that means embracing embracing technology like Amazon, which dominates its markets by using the power of artificial intelligence, machine learning, figure out what you want before you even know. Or like Facebook or Google, both leaders in creating communities worldwide, using brains and computing power 
to distinguish themselves versus the competition. Third, victorious organizations rely on loyalty to that institution. That's the bedrock of any successful army. But believe it or not, it's also an essential ingredient if you want to succeed in banking. Look at Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan, Lloyd Blankfein at Goldman Sachs, Mike Corbett at City, James Gorman at Morgan Stanley, or Brian Moynihan in Bank of America. Each case, each case we see loyalty to the institution that's forged in fire. Many of these leaders piloted their companies through the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression, then navigated investigations by the Justice Department to keep their banks whole. But by the way, I know you rarely hear about situations where bankers are the good guys. But aside from, well, let's just say, maybe this is other than defense contractors, no other industry has a commitment to hiring veterans like the banks. They do so not out of the goodness of their hearts, but because they value leadership, grace under pressure, and loyalty to the institution. At Goldman Sachs back in the day, my boss and many of my colleagues came out of many branches of the service, and the commitment there runs deep. For similarity, attention to detail or situational awareness. The most successful companies I follow have CEOs who pay a tremendous amount of attention to detail while still being able to think strategically, just like people gathered here in this room. Finally, our best CEOs thrive under pressure. They are by nature optimistic, but they're skeptical. They trust the process, and they know the institution must be preserved. Who else has these traits? I would say of all schools in this country, it would be this one. Now, I just came back from Salesforce.com's all right, yeah, let's bring it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, all right, I just came back from the West Coast, and I got to tell you, I think that I was at this thing called Dreamforce, and I saw, you, I saw stories that embody all of these characteristics. Its founder and CEO, Mark Benioff, knows that how you win business. He knows that you need alliances, like the deal he announced with Google that, that uh, came this week. He's even a partner with Google's competitor, Amazon. He knows that you need to innovate endlessly to stay ahead of his rivals, in this case, S&P and Oracle. And he knows that companies have a larger responsibility than just generating earnings per share. They must participate in the community and make it stronger. They must give back and they must make choices that reflect all stakeholders, not just the shareholders. Although I know that view would be considered heresy by lots of investors. Now, there are many different kinds of service. But the best companies can all foster environments that produce people who say, bring on the pressure. We'll handle it as a team. Now, on any given day, these traits can be defeated by larger events, and that's what happened today. But the bottom line is that long-term companies with leadership, first-mover advantage, loyalty to the institution, attention to detail, and grace under pressure will usually prevail over their adversaries and preserve those institutions. So when you find a company with these traits, like a Salesforce.com, you stick with it over the long haul and trust that they can triumph over any short-term headwinds that come their way. Time for questions. Yes, sir. Tanner DeSmukes from Wichita Falls, Texas. Excellent. My question is about the merger between AT&T and Time Warner. Um, would the merger, the flakiness of it, uh, continue to the downfall of the AT&T stock price resulting in a sell? Or would the high dividend yield of AT&T result in a hold? Or would you think that AT&T is undervalued, resulting in a buy? What do you think? Great question. I'll tell you why. Because it, when you combine, this has to do with a, a really a difficult situation where Time Warner wants to merge with AT&T, and the government might stop it or at least try to stop it. Uh, the combined company is actually a better cash flow than if you break them up. 
So the answer would be that ATT's dividend is actually more safe if you get it together. But either case, ATT represents a bedrock institution that has a lot of cash flow. I've been recommending it. It's got a 5% yield. I think it can go higher. I want the deal to go through because I think the the combined companies would be terrific. But I'm not against it, particularly for income. But young people in this audience don't need income. You need growth. So it may not be perfect for a lot of people here, but it's great for people at home. Thank you so much. Yes. Hello, sir. I'm Cadet Brandon Sear from Queens, New York. Okay. My question's in regards to the recent... How my wife's from Queens. She'll <laughs> like this part of the show. She doesn't really like the show, but we have to take care of that. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, my question's in regards to the recent introduction of the Model 3 by Tesla. Uh, many people are considering it to be the iPhone of cars just due to its uh, general uh, accessibility and affordability for the average consumer. However, many people feel uh, that just like the Apple, the iPhone... They won't be able to meet the customer's demand for this product. So do you think other companies like General Motors or Ford will be able to capitalize on this issue and as they already have the means of production uh, to meet this demand? Or do you think that we can have faith in Tesla's business model of purchasing smaller companies like they did with Perbix uh, to make up for the deficiencies in production? It's a complex issue because Tesla is a loved company by the people who own the cars. It's a loved stock by the people who love exactly what you said, which is the technology of it. Neither GM nor Ford is considered to be technologically equal to Tesla. But the balance sheet's terrible. So my take is it's a cult stock. It will not reflect in any way on GM and Ford. GM is ahead of Ford. I say to people, it's the only stock that I will mention. Of the 6,000 companies I follow, it's the only one I will say, look, it's a cold stock. I can't determine where it's going. But if you like the car, you can go buy the stock. Thank you. One more. Hi, Jim. Uh, I'm Philip Donner from Allentown, Pennsylvania. All right. Close by to um, where I live. Yeah, right on. Um, I was just wondering. Um, so I think it was Peter Lynch said, you know, at cocktail parties, it was a very bearish sign when other investors would come up to him and recommend stocks to him. Um, and I was just wondering what you think about um, kind of all the millennials that are investing in the stock market. Um, right now, especially through non-traditional platforms such as Robinhood. Um, so just what, what kind of signals does that send to a potential like downturn? For All right, look, I, I have to tell you, I, did a, I, I actually do surveys every day because I walk down the streets of Wall Street and I, I like to think I'm accessible, say hello to everybody. Very few people ask me about stocks. Most people say to me, listen, I like your show. When I ask them, well, tell me what stock you're buying, they say, oh, no, I'm scared of the stock market. I want to encourage millennials. I think Robinhood is terrific, but I still don't see a lot of interest in stocks. So I think we're okay. Thank you. Take a look around. I am surrounded by the bravest and the greatest. I am surrounded by real leaders, leaders who share characteristics with the top execs of Wall Street, leaders who have the confidence in the face of any kind of war, and most importantly, leaders who always prevail long term. On a very special Veterans Day edition of Man Money, coming to you from West Point, I'm sitting down with Johnson & Johnson CEO Alex Gorski at his alma mater. They few institutions teach discipline, management, logistics, and efficiency like the U.S. Armed Forces. So is it a surprise that some of the best CEOs are military veterans? And while the cadets here with me today are the next generation traditional battlefield commanders, there's a growing need for individuals to protect the country on a different front. I'm eyeing the top names in cybersecurity. So stick with Frank. I'm Captain Ken Skillman, West Point Class of 2013. Happy Veterans Day from Puerto Rico. Booyah! Hi, I'm Captain Taylor Bruff, West Point Class of 2012, currently in San Juan, Puerto Rico, supporting Hurricane Maria relief. Have a happy Veterans Day. Booyah! 
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. In a market where so many defensive stocks have been left by the wayside, think farm in the consumer product place. Every now and then you'll find a company with a great team and a great manager that's able to break the mold. Take Johnson & Johnson, the phenomenal drug-slash-consumer products-slash-medical device company with a stock that's up nearly 22% for the year. And I think a lot of it comes down to the leadership of this man, Alex Skorsky. He's a former U.S. Army captain and the chairman and CEO of J&J, who's back at his alma mater today. We also want to give special attention to an amazing new public service announcement in support of veterans. Mr. Gorski, welcome to the special Veterans Day edition of Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Good Great to, to see be you, here. How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. Great to be here. So, how about that, huh? You're here. You're back. Is that incredible or what, Jim? Can you give us some of the lessons in leadership that you learned here? Well, first of all, it's just awesome to be here. I mean, the history of West Point, when you think about it, the leaders that have come out, come out of here, Eisenhower, MacArthur, Schwarzkopf, and then you look at the young men and women who are out here today, it does not get much better than that. I'm so, you know, proud to be here back at my alma mater. But as you just said, look, at the end, it's all about leadership. And the le- important leadership lessons that you learn here, how do you, how do you do something that's bigger than yourself? How do you be part of a team so you get everybody diverse from different backgrounds all behind a common mission and work together? And frankly, how do you have an attitude where no matter how high that wall, no matter how thick, you're going to figure out a way to get the mission done? That's what they represent. And that's what this place is all about. And you have made a commitment to hire vets. uh, And it has worked out, this commitment, for J&J, for the vets, for the good of the institution. Absolutely. Look, we are incredibly proud of the veterans that we hire. I mean, people like Courtney Billington, who's right over there, class of 1987 West Point. You know, Courtney graduated from here, and now he's running one of the largest, most complex supply chains in the world. He's just taking leadership from one area, bring it to another. Maureen Allison, first class of women at West Point back in 1980. She now runs cybersecurity for Johnson & Johnson. So, yes, it's about serving your country, having leadership in the Army, the Navy, in other areas. But then it's also about how do you give back to your country in other ways, like working for big businesses like Johnson & Johnson. At the same time, Alex, we can't leave anyone behind the motto of the institution. And what I am hearing are there are disturbing things, uh, a rate of suicide that I know you're trying to bring down personally, trying to be able to deal with issues of uh, debilitating issues that we can't sweep under the rug. Absolutely, Jim. Look, we owe... The men and women in this country who have served over the last year, the millions who have served, who really protect us, keep us safe, such a deep debt. I mean, that's the reason we're able to do shows like this. That's why we're able to do businesses. And the good news is over the last few years, you know, even that whole theme of, you know, make sure you say thank you for your service. I think that's a great gesture. It's awesome to do, but it's not enough. Okay. Because behind every man and woman who has served, unfortunately, there's some today. In fact, we're losing about 20 a day to suicide and who are still suffering from a lot of serious mental conditions, and we cannot leave them behind. So working with the VA, with Secretary Shulkin, we at Johnson Johnson teamed up, and we said, look, what can we do? Because the VA has had a lot of great programs, and we've got to make sure these people know where and how to get help. 
We've got to make sure they know how to reach out to the VA, to other veteran service organizations. And frankly, sometimes all it takes is a friend to make a call, to connect, to reach out. So we've got to get communities, cities, right. churches, right. everybody working together because they deserve our best. And that's really what this public service announcement is about. Now, you mentioned the government. We want that government involved in doing that. But we also see the government uh, getting into the industry, telling you what to do at times. We also have a big tax bill that could help Johnson & Johnson if it's written correctly. What should be the role of government and pharmaceuticals? Well, look, it it takes all of us working together. If we're going to solve issues like health care, if we're going to take on issues about how do we grow our economy, how do we create more high-paying jobs, that requires industry and the government working together. So it starts with smart tax policy. How do we make sure that we have competitive tax policy so that, you know, companies, frankly, aren't making bad decisions about moving their things around based on tax alone, but it should be based on the strategy. How do we create more jobs? How do we bring some of those great manufacturing jobs, other science STEM jobs right here in the United States? So it's going to take us all working together. All right. Now, we have to make it clear to everyone here and everyone home, Johnson & Johnson stock has been an unbelievable performer under your tutelage. And what I want to ask you is, Many of the drug stocks have stopped going higher. What has happened at J&J in the last year or two that has made it so people see that the growth not only is coming back, but exceeds almost all the companies in the industry? Well, Jim, it's really about a couple things. It starts with innovation. It starts with great products that fundamentally make a big difference in people's lives. You know, products like Darzlix are, are taking you know, condition like multiple myeloma, and people are now living longer. They actually have a chance. And so that's really what it starts with. And we've had an incredible run of great innovation in oncology, minimally invasive surgery, vision care. Next, and these guys know a lot about it, it's execution. You've got to have a very clear plan. Make sure you're delivering on that, that you're crossing the T's, dotting the I's, and I could not be prouder. And and finally, it's about great leaders and great people. And I could not be prouder of 145,000 employees at Johnson & Johnson who really bring the credo value system every day to work to do their very best. What do, you, do you have any advice for the audience about what they should do after service or even in service because that's where they're headed? Because I think that someone who has done such a great job as you obviously have uh, actual lessons for our, our crowd here. Well, I'm, I'm loath to give them lessons because the fact that you're here at the academy already demonstrates that you've had a great start. That you've demonstrated excellence in a lot of different ways. But a couple things is, number one, find something that you love or learn to love what you do because you're going to do a lot of it. And when you bring passion, when you really enjoy what you're doing, you're going to be better. And your people will know that. And and, and by the way, you're going to be doing this for a long time all your life, and you don't want to waste it doing something that you're really not interested in. The second is take care of yourself. You've got a great start. You do physical fitness here all the time. And what's key in addition to your leadership is making sure that you're healthy, that you're fit, and you need to do that not only in the military but in a civilian career so that you can be your very best. So you do those things, and you'll go far, and you're going to have a lot of fun. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Alex Gorski, West Point grad, chairman and CEO of Johnson & Johnson. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, everybody. All right. Awesome job. That was great. Yes. Celebrating Veterans Day, I think it's important to thank all the brave servicemen and women 
who've risked everything to protect this country. But let's be honest, we really don't do enough to take care of our veterans after they come home. That's why tonight I want to salute the companies that actually go out of their way to hire veterans. You know what? A thank you for your service is nice, but a job is better. Before we start taking them down, though, let's address why those of you at home should care about this issue, aside from the fact that it's the right thing to do. After all, this is not a show about doing the right thing. It's about trying to make money, although fortunately, they do often align. So allow me to put this in money-making terms. If you're running a business, people with military backgrounds make fabulous employees, disciplined, smart, highly trained, think on their feet, able to handle high-pressure situations. But beyond that, what I've seen in my long history as an investor and in interviewing CEOs is that veterans make great executives. So I'm going to give you some examples that are unsung that nobody talks about, so i got to do it. First off, you just heard from Alex Gorski, the phenomenal CEO of J&J, who himself was a West Point graduate. He's class of 82. And Gorski has done some amazing things, breathing new life into J&J's pharma business while turning around the rest of the company, especially the consumer products division, which had fallen upon hard times and is now being resurrected. All you really need to know is that J&J stock is up more than 21% for the year, which is a truly stunning move for $377 billion-dollar company with one of the best balance sheets in the world and a triple-A rating. Talk about leadership. Second, there's one that I just think this story's never told. It's Verizon. Some of you may be young enough to imagine that Verizon's always been this gigantic company dominating the phone business, but in truth, Verizon's relatively recent creation. The man who created its modern incarnation is a guy by the name of Ivan Seidenberg. He's a decorated Army veteran who served as a tour as a tail gunner in Vietnam, Awarded Purple Heart at Quezon, often considered the most dangerous place on earth during that war. In 1995, Seidenberg was appointed president and CEO of the old 9X, which was the phone company for the New York and New England area after President Reagan broke up the old Ma Bell monopoly. Over the course of his tenure, he made a series of enormous mergers. 97, 9X combined with Bell Atlantic, $23 billion deal. 2002, the company merged with GTE, $50 billion deal, which is when they changed the name to Verizon, got very aggressive about cell phones. By the time Seidenberg retired in 2011, he turned a regional, small telco company into a nationwide wireless colossus that's only rivaled by ATT. He's a modest man, big vision, tremendous discipline, tactical and strategic thinker. Then there's Donald Knauss. He's the former CEO of Clorox, who ran the company between 2006 and 2014. Knauss did a terrific job at Clorox, taking the stock from the 60s to the 100s during a difficult period. He always attributed part of his success to his time as an officer in the Marines. I think that background made it easier for him to bite the bullet by taking Clorox out of Venezuela. It was a near-term hit that had to be done by somebody. He did it at the end of his career. And that put things on a much better path for his successor, Ben O'Dora. Not many executives are willing to take one for the team and sacrifice like that, which makes Knauss' actions all the more remarkable to Wall Street, even though I know in this room it's just your DNA. How about Polaris, maker of snowmobiles and all-terrain vehicles? Scott Wine, a Navy veteran, took over Polaris CEO late 2008, right as the Great Recession was kicking into high gear. Wine managed to steer the company through a difficult period, Came out the other side much stronger. Then after a remarkable multi-year run, Polaris saw its stock get slammed in 2015. Part because of big picture issues like strong dollar and part because the company stumbled, building up too much inventory. Once again, the redoubtable wine got the company back on track 
and the last six months, Blair stock has caught fire. And let's not forget the recent turnaround at Twitter. Now, one of the reasons I've come to like this stock is work done by Anthony Noto. Noto's another West Point graduate. He's class of 1991. He was an all-East academic, all-American linebacker who crucially helped Army beat Navy three times. Go Army! And he will be back for the big Duke game this weekend. Which will no doubt lead to the team's eighth win in a remarkable season. Notice uh, Twitter's chief operating officer, and given that the company has a part-time CEO, who also runs another company I like very much, Square, means Noto's the guy who actually runs the business on a day-to-day basis. I think he's instilled a huge amount of discipline there, and that's why the stock's had a monster rebound and I think can continue to go higher. Finally, there's Mark McLaughlin. He's another West Point grad, piloted a Cobra attack helicopter back in the day. McLaughlin's the CEO of Palo Alto Networks, and his leadership has built that company into a cybersecurity kingpin. Of course, stock pulled back hard today, like the rest of the NASDAQ, but more on that later. I mentioned all these people because veterans often make amazing executives. But you're never going to have someone with a military background as your CEO if you aren't hiring veterans to begin with. That's why, other than patriotism, we care about which companies are going out of their way to put vets to work. So who makes the cut? Well, I had to uh, look at a company, uh, an organ called Military Times. They did an exhaustive survey about the best public companies for veterans. One is Verizon, no surprise. It's done an excellent job of hiring people with military backgrounds. They said that Union Pacific, big railroad, veterans make up an astonishing 20% of the workforce. Capital One, major credit card issuer. Hilton Worldwide, Lockheed Martin, Comcast, the parent company of this network. They also make the list as does GE. It's one of the few things, unfortunately, GE has done right in the last few years. Hope that stock can make a comeback. Many other companies have announced programs to recruit more veterans and done a great job. A lot of tech companies have made big pledges and delivered. Amazon, Boeing, EMC, Tesla, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, First Data, Activision Blizzard. Same goes for Starbucks, Disney, Ryder, Sprint, PayPal. The major banks in particular, Bank of America and J.P. Morgan. Very large commitment to hire vets, and we celebrate that. I see it in action with my own eyes. I think that so many other companies also deserve our praise for doing the right thing. More important, they deserve our respect, our respect for doing the smart thing for their businesses, since these CEOs want to win, and they know vets can help them do so much more than any other cohort out there. Here's the bottom line. We do not spend enough time talking about leadership in this business, but it's a huge component of what makes companies successful, which is why some of the best chief executives I've ever had the good fortune to meet were veterans and graduates of this tremendous institution. Let's take some questions. Sir. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah! Ross from South Carolina. My question is, Equifax is down 33% in the past three months, due in part to its data breach and the poor handling by the former CEO. My question is, do you think the new CEO has what it takes to turn this company around? I think the new CEO does have what it takes. You know, that was an unfortunate incident. I think cybersecurity, we're going to spend more time on that. Uh, is something that was maybe not taken seriously enough at that company. Uh, I do think that the investigation into the people who uh, traded around that time has proven that they were innocent. And I have a good feeling about the institution itself because that hasn't lost a lot of clients. I don't want to invest in the stock, though. Uh, let's just wait a couple of quarters, but thank you. Yes. 
Uh, yes, sir. Thanks for having me on the show today. Thank uh, you. My name is Nicholas LeVay from Florida. And uh, given the w- nature of our work in the military, it's sometimes hard for us to actively manage our funds. So what advice could you give to myself and uh, my fellow cadets here on, you know, options for uh, passive investments uh, that isn't just the cookie cutter index Well, look, I'm a huge believer in index funds. Why do I feel that way? Because I do want broad diversification. But I also think everyone here has to look at something they know. I I buy a couple shares. My best ideas come from my kids. That's how I got Apple at five bucks, okay? That's how I found Google when I found out that you couldn't use it for your homework. I found Amazon because my kids said, Dad, how can you not belong in Prime? PayPal, unbelievable. They said, Dad, we don't use cash. We don't use credit cards. Keep your eye out for what you know. Yes. What's up, Jim? I am Charles Debchak um, from Warren, Michigan. Okay. Ford is known as an all-American motor company and has a huge presence back in my home state. Where do you see the stock going over the next few years? Sadly, I think that Ford has fallen behind in terms of the amount of money it spent. Uh, it didn't really. It should have because it was the only one that didn't file bankruptcy. But it hasn't invested enough in the autonomous car. Uh, it has still some very challenged regions. I'm not a believer. I'm not a believer. I prefer GM to that situation. But thank you so much. All right. I want to say thank you and thank you to all who serve. And thank you to all those companies who recognize the power of those who serve. Much more mad money ahead as I sit with the next generation of defenders of this great nation. I'm eyeing the newest threat facing our national security cyber attacks. Focusing on companies that are taking on this new battlefield. Then we're on duty to help find the key to investing for the long haul. When I talk to the U.S. Military Academy's investment club. Plus our nation's heroes fire off stock after stock on a very special West Point lightning round. Go Army! Stick with Kramer! Go Army! Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. But I'm going to watch L.A. Noir, which is a new dark video game that I think is going to be great. L.A. Law. Wasn't there a show by that Corbin name? Corbin Burnson? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So L.A. Noir. Noir like night. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. whirlwind week for me. Tonight we're broadcasting from the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. But earlier I was in San Francisco, which is the epicenter of the American technology industry. Maybe that combination is why I keep thinking about cybersecurity in that particular space. I'm not worried about traditional threats to the United States. I mean, you guys have us covered. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm worried about this digital battle. In some ways, the last undefended frontier. And look, we know that cybersecurity is unfortunately a secular growth business, meaning that long-term hackers and digital terrorists, they're going to keep trying to steal our data, mess up our systems, make us pay Bitcoin for ransomware. And that's why I think it's worth circling back to the companies that combat this stuff, especially since the whole cohort pulled back today. So it's a good opportunity. When a secular growth group pulls back, you need to use the weakness to dip your toe in the water. So which cybersecurity stocks are actually worth owning? Let me give you a laundry list of decent ones before we get to my favorite. First, there are the cybersecurity companies you might not know about. 
Uh, with stocks that have been gigantic winners, I mean, take Mimecast. No, no one ever talks about Mimecast, symbols M-I-M-E. It came public less than two years ago, and the stock has rallied 72% for the year. Mimecast doesn't do anything flashy. They're a cloud-based data security play focused on protecting corporate employees' email accounts. Not exactly high-stakes stuff. But we know that email is a really attractive entry point for hackers. Just go ask John Podesta. Now, I mentioned Mimecast because the company reported last night's stock got dinged today. It's down nearly 3%. Even though Mimecast delivered a slight earnings miss, when you look at the other key metrics, the quarter actually seemed pretty good to me, which makes you think that maybe you're getting a rare buying opportunity in Mimecast. Then there's CyberArk, C-Y-B-R. This is an Israeli cybersecurity play that protects so-called administrator accounts. That's another common target for hackers because they basically represent the keys to the digital kingdom. Now, CyberArk has a terrific long-term track record, but lately its stock has stalled. It's actually down 3% for 2017. The reason? The company cut its full-year guidance in May and then pre-announced some weak second-quarter numbers in July. Two things that put a lot of pressure on the stock. Basically, CyberArk has become a show-me story. Last Thursday, the company showed us it still has what it takes, though, poured a terrific top and bottom line beat. Even better management raised their full-year guidance, indicating these guys have their house in order again. The stock rallied more than 11% on the news. But since then, it's pulled back, including today. I think you're getting a buying opportunity in CyberArk. What else? Let's not forget one of our favorites, Proofpoint, PFPT. Cloud-based industry stalwart helps protect its clients against advanced cyber attacks coming from email, social media, and mobile apps. Sure, defending mobile apps may not seem as important as defending the demilitarized zone in Korea, crushing ISIS. But there's no denying that Proofpoint is a lucrative business. Stock's up over 24% for 2017, rallied nearly 700% over the past five years. It's not done. Just like the others, Proofpoint got hit today, down more than three bucks. You have my blessing to scale this one, you know, do it slowly on the way down. And again, I'm trying to hit stocks that were down a lot today to take advantage of the decline in the NASDAQ. What about companies that protect against actual cyber terrorism, not just data breaches? There's L3 Technologies. It's actually a major defense contractor that, in addition to aerospace, electronics, and screening for real-life terrorists at airports, also helps protect communications networks. This is another stock that's caught fire lately. It's up 22% for the year, 52% over the last three years. Now, if you want a beaten-down name with cybersecurity exposure, there's one I'm just starting to do a lot of work on that it's kind of interesting to speculate with, SAIC. It's a technology integrator that mainly supports various government agencies, specializing in information technology, platform integration, training, and simulation intelligence, and mission expertise, down 20% for the year in wake of a series of disappointing quarters. However, many of the problems here are transitory. And SAIC has an impressive $9.2 billion backlog of business, which is why the stock caught a couple of upgrades last month from Citigroup and Wells Fargo. I know it's risky, but if they can turn it around, could have a lot of upside. I also think it could be a takeover target. All that said, my top pick in the cyberspace is Palo Alto Networks, and that's P-A-N-W. And it's run by a West Point alum, Mark McLaughlin. Yeah, this guy's worth celebrating. This guy's worth celebrating. He's dynamite. This company's a major player in the industry, more than 42,000 customers across 150-plus countries. company pioneered next-generational firewall. Platform was built from the ground up to prevent breaches. People love that. However, as much as I like this company long-term, there's no denying the stock's been a dog lately, including today, tumbled nearly 10 bucks. Investors taking Mimecast earnings miss as an excuse to dump the whole group, and Palo Alto especially. Even before today, the stock was uh, 17 points over its 52-week high. What happened? They reported a disappointing quarterback in February. 
uh, some sales issues, sales force, actually. The network wasn't so good. And the stock got slammed by a series of downgrades, and it fell as low as 107. But since then, it's begun to bounce back. The company reorganized its sales force. Past couple of quarters have been pretty good. Last month, Morgan Stanley upgraded the stock from equal weight to overweight and raised the price target from 150 to 185. Bold call. These analysts believe in Palo Alto's ability to keep growing at the, uh, the business at 20% plus clip for years to come. And they like that the company will soon be up against some very easy comparisons versus a year ago. Most important, they cite the value of the company's broader security platform. While other cybersecurity vendors offer piecemeal solutions that need to be mixed and matched, Palo Alto gives you total protection in a single product. I agree with the upgrade, but I add one more thing here. As I mentioned earlier, one of this company's biggest strengths is its management. Specifically, the leadership of CEO Mark McLaughlin, West Point grad, helicopter pilot, who's done an excellent job of creating value long term. A bet on Palo Alto, excuse me, a bet on Palo Alto Networks is a bet on him. Company reports again in a week and a half. Maybe you buy some here, wait for it to pull back. Maybe somebody, you know, the sellers today were humongous. Don't get aggressive. Here's the bottom line. Some of these cybersecurity stocks have been consistent winners, while others like Palo Alto have been humble. But this theme's not going away, which is why it's safe to pick up stocks like Palo Alto in the weakness. And you have a ton of weakness right now. Man, money's back after the break. Hi, I'm Captain Corey Trainer, West Point class of 2013. I'm here in San Juan, Puerto Rico, supporting Hurricane Maria recovery with the Corps of Engineers. Hope you're having a good Veterans Day at home. Booyah. Hi, I'm Captain Andrew Kamak, West Point class of 2009, deployed to the U.S. Virgin Islands in support of the Army Corps of Engineers. Have a happy Veterans Day. Go Army. Booyah. Go Army. Booyah. It's time for a Black Knight's U.S. Military Academy. Go Army. Crush Duke. Edition of the Lightning Rattle Mad Money. That's right. Take your calls. Rapid fire. Say the name of the stock. I can't remember my son. Put the video right on the floor. Stop for a second time. My staff is ready. So the fire will be played. You hear the sound? And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's time for the lightning round. Come on, everybody. Hit me. From Bentonville, Arkansas. First off, go Army, beat Navy. Yes! And with recent losses at Pandora, is it finally time to sell? Sell, 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 sell. How about that? No, you don't want to touch that thing. No! Terrible quarter. Yes, sir. Booyah, Kramer. Nate from Alaska. So the biotech company Superness recently beat both earnings and revenues. However, yes. its, stock, its stock dropped from $49 to $37. Is this an investment opportunity I or think is for, it time to sell? Look, they do central nervous disease, which is notoriously difficult. But for a young person, a spec on super, on, on super is a good idea. So I'm going to say yes to it only for speculation. Yes. Jim, I'm Johnny from Mount Vernon, Texas. I was wondering what your take on Pfizer was. Should we Pfizer? buy or selling? Nothing there, man. Come on, up your game. What can I do? It's just a dividend play now. Yes. Sir, Ben Mastona from Long Pond, Pennsylvania. Beat Navy. Sir, what do you think of Kroger? Uh, Navy. <laughs> yes. Sir, my name's John Boyer from Huntsville, Alabama. I was wondering if it's time to buy Celgene or if investors should still be weary. No, Celgene, that, that quarter was not good. They paid too much for an acquisition. I, look, I think it's okay. 
Uh, for a bounce, but it was, uh, I, I was dismayed by Celgene. I've liked that stock for a long time. Yes. Hi, Jim. Peter from New York. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Chipotle's keeps diving deeper and deeper while McDonald's is on the rise. I've lost What's faith the because they had a second instance, and once they had that, you got to wait 18 months. That's the American uh, way of trying to figure out when you've forgotten something. So my take is is that Chipotle, it's still got to got to put it in the past. It's not. It's too close to these incidents. Yes. Hey Jim, Marcelino from Melbourne, Florida. What's your you? take on CVS right now? Uh, okay, I think this one CVS is dramatically oversold. I think people are too worried about Amazon. I think it's a well-run company. If they make an acquisition uh, that is in managed care, the stock is going to go higher. I like CVS. Hey, Jim. Brian from New Jersey. For beginner investors, would you recommend Coca-Cola stocks for long-term investments? For long-term, yes. I mean, for long-term, they've got a good CEO. He's doing a lot. My problem with Coca-Cola is is that my kids would say, Dad, it's so bad for you, I'm not going to have it. And it, they need to diversify and get something else going. But I think this new man at Coca-Cola is doing a good job. Yeah. Hey, Jim. Cameron from Pennsylvania. What do you think about Norfolk Southern? Norfolk Southern is just sensational. What a well-run company. And it's great play on, a, uh, on international commerce. I think the world of Mr. Squires. That's a good one. Yes. Good evening, Jim. My name is Cadet Anunko from Charleston, Michigan. How do you feel about IBM as a beginning investment? I think the next quarter is going to be better. I, when I sat, sat down with Ginny uh, Rometty and also with Martin Schroeder, that's the CEO and the CFO, I feel good about it. Not great because all these companies out there in the West, the Facebooks, the, the Amazons, the Googles, they have their own cloud and people love it. But I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I think this level is a good level. It's a good level for IBM, yes. Hey, Jim, I'm Baker from Greensburg, Indiana. Do you think the market for gold and silver will remain bullish? Yes, I like Rand Gold as a, a way to, as a stock, and I like the GLD. But more important, I think everyone should own some gold because we don't know what's going to happen. Other than what you guys stop, and I know you'll stop it. There's a lot of craziness in the world, so therefore, gold's a good portfolio hedge. Yes, Sarah Brady from Marlton, Arkansas. With the upcoming winter months and recent increase in natural gas, is Southwestern Energy a buy? You know what? I I, I think you got to hope that there's a cold, cold, cold winter. Feel the same way about Chesapeake, so I can't recommend that. I'd rather see you in something uh, like a Simrex, which is a fabulous growth oil and gas that crushed the numbers. That's a better one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. to our special Veterans Day celebration show at the U.S. Military Academy. I'm out here every day scouring the markets to find top-notch plays to put on your radar. But today, I've got some special help. Cadets from the U.S. Military Academy Investment Club are here to pitch me on their top ideas. Let's see if they can stand the heat. Hey, You're Jim. Up first. Hey, Jim. Cody from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Big Booyah from Carolina. Thank you, Cody. All right. Uh, today, I'm pitching Nucor, a couple catalysts for growth with All this right. company. Uh, President Trump's agenda is very pro-domestic steel. So as you know, uh, China's been dumping uh, loads of steel at below fair market prices. It's been absolutely destroying companies as uh, Nucor, AKS, and um, U.S. Steel. Right. So going forward, we may see the emplacement of tariffs um, on China exports. What that's going to do is we think it could be revitalizing to the steel uh, market at mm-hmm. domestic. Um, well, so why Nucor? Um, Nucor has efficient management. We go back to 08. We see some of the acquisitions they use, taking advantage of those low-priced companies, right. using it to grow their company. 
I might also add that they're the largest producer of steel, not only in the United States, but also in North America as a whole. Um, we look at some financial stuff, triple times the operating margin compared to the biggest competitor, U.S. Steel. 40 years of uh, dividend upon dividend increases, um, very rare in the market, let alone uh, such a cyclical right. sector as steel. Uh, Going to close with that, very bullish on that. What do you think? I think I completely agree. My travel trust owns it. I think John Ferriola is a remarkable CEO. Dan D'Amico beforehand. I've been to one of their factories, which is just a dream come true in Louisiana. I think everything you say is right, except for I don't know if the president's going to be tough enough on China. He's over there making deals, uh, and I don't think he is doing enough to help the steel industry for exactly what you said, because of the dumping is horrendous, or else Nucor stock would be at 70 rather than 56. But I am in total agreement. I think it's a great idea. Thank right. you. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Next. Cody. Cody. How you doing, Jim? I'm Sean from Niagara Falls, uh, Niagara Falls, New York. All right. I'm pitching uh, TransOcean today. Really? Yeah. I like TransOcean because of two reasons. It's okay. cost efficiency and the value of its contracts going forward. So for its cost efficiency, its uh, CEO recently recommitted to a 95% revenue uh, efficiency right. to December of 2018. It's dropped its uh, PPE by 17.8% on the year. And uh, it currently has six rigs that are being taken offline. So it's going to drop some costs from its books in the next year. Uh, for the value of its contracts going forward, uh, President Trump recently signed an executive order that's going to ease restrictions on the uh, offshore drilling industry. And early reports indicate interest in uh, drilling in new basins. Uh, for its, uh, it currently has four rigs in the Southeast Asia region uh, that could spell uh, good tides if China increases its demand further for oil. Uh, and uh, last quarter, it uh, posted 1% 1 revenue over expectations, and it's the only company, uh, according to its, uh, against its peers, that had positive cash flow. Absolutely. Now, let me ask a couple questions about it. One, what is your, uh, is your view predicated on oil going through 60? Because you know that's a tough sell if it's not. Yes, sir. So I uh, recently acquired Sanga Offshore, mm -hmm. and uh, that uh, Sanga Offshore operates many rigs in the North Sea. Uh, with Brent oil passing uh, 60, it would uh, bring those oil, oil rigs back up online. And I think with uh, Saudi exports uh, to the United States dropping and shale peaking out, that we're going to see the offshore makes up that difference. And then another question, are you okay with the balance sheet? Uh, next year, yes, sir, after it uh, reorients and drops those rigs off its balance sheets. Okay, I think it's a heavy speculative play. Uh, I think oil has to go through 60, as you said. Uh, but it's, it's a bottom fish. And I don't ever mind younger people bottom fishing because older people should go with Schlumberger because we like to go with the best. But I like the idea for an investment club of younger people because if oil does shoot up, that's a double. Good call. Thank you. Jim, Logan Stansberry from North Reading, Massachusetts. I'm coming at you with a buy for Southwest Airlines. We really like Southwest Airlines because after a recent relative peak, it's showing some good resistance around the $54 price range. Oh, technically inclined, gentlemen. All right. Um, in addition to that, it has a homogeneous fleet, uh, which, allows, which drastically re reduces maintenance costs, uh, which allows for lower fares and gives it a competitive advantage over the field. Um, we do acknowledge that if oil prices increase across the industry, margins will decrease. Um, and in addition, they have had... Uh, Trouble with hedging? Yes, I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be my first question to you, which is that they blew the hedges, right? Yes, sir. I mean, they just didn't do a good job. Do you have faith in Gary Kelly if he did those hedges wrong? Yes, sir. Um, we think that the macro factors and just kind of the uh, overall model of uh, Southwest and how it's expanding is going to take it to the next level. Um, in addition to that, uh, the current price is very fair. 
um, and it's, there's not much resistance above it, so we could see potential growth and uh, potential breakthrough. I'm in total agreement with my chat with Trust Jones, and I would throw in the fact that it's been profitable the whole way. The other airlines haven't. Uh, and the Texas routes, while there's some price cutting right now, can get better. I like your idea. Symbol love, L-U-V. I'd be a buyer. Thank you, sir. Hi, Jim. Uh, big fan of yours. I'm Alex Dietrich from uh, Denver, Colorado. Okay. I'm going to pitch you a buy on Home Depot for a few reasons. So we like Home Depot because of the strength of the housing market right now. We think they've got some uh, great Go position to benefit off the hurricane damage as well as a Trump tax reform plan uh, that may be up and coming. So some people are saying retail is dead. We don't think Home Depot fits this. Home- I to- I'm in total agreement with you. By the way, sorry about the Broncos. But you're completely right. But, hey, come on. It's the NFL. Uh, I, I, would, I would augment that by saying that only Home Depot, is uh, a little bit l- less, less than Lowe's, makes me not concerned about Amazon. Are you concerned about Amazon if they were to move into tools aggressively, move into washer and dryer aggressively? Is that something we should be concerned about? Uh, for Home Depot, I don't, I don't think it's too big of a concern. So where I see Home Depot um, having an advantage against Amazon is how much they do in lumber and in-store material processing right. where Amazon can't compete with that. The technology, the shipping efficiency isn't there yet. You like the management? I do like the management. Strong balance sheet. Uh, Beautiful the balance sheet, isn't it? It's very good. Fabulous CFO. It's a joy. Home Depot is a joy. And, and anybody who studies like you do knows that that's a company that is best in class. And we're always looking for best in class. Even in a bad neighborhood, I think Home Depot is terrific. Do you like any other retailers? Or is that it? Uh, it's my biggest pick for retail right now. Is it? All right. You know, look, I, you know, one thing I would be concerned about, and I, I am worried, is that it, 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 there's the possibility that Amazon will go very aggressive and cut prices. But otherwise, I think you're in good shape. All right? Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. The celebration of our veterans continues on CNBC tomorrow. Don't miss a special halftime report with Scott Walker, live from the Intrepid in New York City. Thank you for the great honor of being here at the U.S. Military Academy. My Army father would be so proud. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. I'll see you tomorrow, and go Army! CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.